Would you show your appreciation to Olivia and Alex and Bryce, please? We're very grateful for their leadership this morning as they've led us in worship. And I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and pull those things out. And let's begin to take a look at what God's Word says to us in the book of Philippians. Uh, if you need a Bible, one of uh, we have a couple of students that are going to be passing some Bibles out. If you would, just raise your hand. They'll get a Bible to you. And you are welcome to keep that Bible. Uh, you can take that with you, give it to a friend who may need one. Or if you don't need one and you don't need to take it back with you today, you can feel free to drop that off at the Next Steps table as you leave Today, we're going to be in the book of Philippians in chapter 4. Philippians is the 11th book in the New Testament. So if you need to, just about every Bible has a table of contents. So feel free to go there, find what page that's on, and you make your way to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to be in verses 10 through 20 this morning. As you make your way there, I do want to draw your attention just to a couple of things. If this is your first time here, thank you so much for coming. We do have a... Uh, a luncheon that will follow today. This is our third year <clears throat> of doing ministry. We're celebrating that today, and we want to invite you to be a part of our fellowship lunch uh, as soon as uh, worship is over. We're going to be in the uh, cafeteria, which is on the other side of the school building, and we'll have some people that can help direct you there, or just follow the smell. You can make your way back there. It's going to be really good. We've got a lot of barbecue, a lot of covered dish uh, dishes that have been prepared by our folks, and we want to invite you to stay, and you feel welcome uh, to be a part of our three-year celebration today. Another, uh, a, another thing that I would like to share with you is on March the 23rd, for those of you who are uh, our ladies, we want to invite you to be a part of the women's gathering that's going to take place over at the Gratis Gates Community Center. This is a, uh, an opportunity, this is an event that's in partnership uh, with us and Gratis Church, my friend Mike Peavy and his wife Angie. Uh, who lead that church, and uh, they are having uh, an event for ladies. And my wife, Lisa, many of you know her and have heard about her story of adoption and how she was reconnected with her birth mother several years ago. And she's going to be sharing that story of grace and redemption uh, with those ladies that are participating in that event. So March the 23rd, it'll start at 630. It's a free event. want to invite you to come, bring a guest. And they're also asking to bring an appetizer as well. It's going to be a great event. I want to encourage you to go. If you have any questions, feel free to talk to me or talk to Lisa, and we'll be happy to get that information to you. Okay? All right. Everybody ready? Okay. Let's pray together, and then we'll dive in to what God wants to talk to us about today. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather in this place and to celebrate the gift of life that you've given to us. Father, is that song that we just heard, you are our anchor of hope. And as we read the story today about Paul and, and where he was at, and his relationship with the church at Philippi, we're going to uncover and we're going to discover just how much of an anchor of hope you really are. And my prayer today is this, is that we would not be the same people that came into this building as we leave today because of being in your word and for celebrating what you have done in each of our lives. Father, we love you. We commit our time to you now, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I love my church. I absolutely love you guys. I love our culture. I love, I love who we are. I love where we're going. I love the fact that we are just a bunch of real people. I love the fact that that you are a grace-filled church. You overlook many of my own faults and failures as a leader. Uh, you guys are just a wonderful church to pastor, and I'm honored and I'm blessed to be able to serve in this capacity uh, with you and for you. It is definitely a calling that I never saw coming. My mom would tell you that she saw it coming probably a long time ago, and she would often tell me, you know, you're, you're, called to, you're called to preach, Spencer. You're, you need to be doing this. And I was like, not me. I don't know. I know what pastors go through. I don't want that job. 
All right, I'm good with being on staff at a church. I'm good with being that second guy, you know, in an associate role. I'm good with being that student guy because we get to go have fun, right, Wade? Yes. All right, we get to, you know, we get to stay up all night on Disciple Now weekends, all night long, you know, hanging out with students. That's just a lot of fun, right? It's a lot of fun. Well, so I, I never thought that being in a pastoral role would be something that I would be doing. And I often would say, I was like, well, Lord, you know, if you're calling me to pastor, you're just going to have to write it on the wall. It's going to have to be that clear. Well, as we began to, began to pray about what God was leading us to do, God began to write it on the wall. Matter of fact, I was reading a book called Spiritual Leadership by J. Oswald Sanders. And in that book, we got to, I got to chapter 7, and in that book, he starts off chapter 7 with a passage in 2 Peter, and it says, you are to be the shepherds of God's flock. Hello. Okay, there's the writing on the wall. And I said, okay. And man, what a joy it has been to be in this capacity as your pastor. I love your heart. I love the laughter. I love everything about who we are. And I love where we're going. It's a journey. It's something that we are all a part of. It's something that uh, our students are a part of. It's something that our children are a part of. It's something that you are a part of. There are going to be bumps in the road. There are, going to be, there are going to be times in this church's history where we are going to have difficulty, where we are going to struggle, where we are going to have to press on, where we're going to have to overcome but as long as we stay fixed on the mission and the vision of the church and what God's called us to, we can overcome those things. And as a church, we are a resilient church, and I love that about who we are. And I just want you to know from your pastor, I love you. I really do. And, and I don't just say that just to impress you. I want, I do, I love you, and I'm so grateful for where God has brought us, and I'm grateful for where he's taken us, all right, because this is not just it. Man, there's so much more. There's so much more that God wants to do in our life as a church. When we planted, <clears throat> actually, what was planted in the hearts of three people, three families, okay, what was planted in the hearts of three families on April the 28th, 2013, it was birthed on February the 23rd, 2014, and has now grown to a church that has 55 active members. It has four, over 40 regular attenders. It uh, has three very active small groups. Now, those aren't huge numbers. They're not huge numbers, but you know what? From when we started with three families, and you look at what has happened in those, in, in those lives, and you see the connections that have been made, what you're seeing is, is progress. What you're seeing are people being discipled. What you're seeing are, are people that are connecting with each other. What you're seeing is you're seeing the body grow, is what you're seeing. And, to me, and there are a lot of people that think that church growth ought to happen rapidly. Personally, my style of leadership it's probably going to be pretty slow because <laughs> I'm slow, I'm methodical, I, I plan, and, and we work through things. And, and quite truthfully, it can be very difficult for me to make a decision. I can have a, an, a paralysis of analysis when it comes down to it and, and cannot take risks at those times when we probably need to take certain risks as a church. We've seen fathers baptize their children we have seen God answer prayer in ways that would really just blow us away. Matter of fact, I think that really God gets a kick out of that. I think God says, all right, you're going to pray about it. Now watch me work. All right. Watch this. So that's why I like to encourage all of us when we pray, let's pray with our eyes open. Okay. Let's pray with our eyes open so that as we pray, we watch what God does so that when we see what he does, we stand in awe of what he does when he does it. And we celebrate that moment, and we worship him. We've been able to impact the world for Jesus right here in Barrow County. We've done that in Birmingham, Alabama. 
We've gone to Romania. We've had opportunities to impact the world for Jesus literally around the world. On July the 30th of last year, there was a guy by the name of Luke Aiken. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Luke Aiken. But Luke Aiken did something incredibly, incredibly stupid. Incredibly stupid. All right? He has, he's a base jumper. All right? If you don't know what a base jumper is, he's jumping off of cliffs and he's, you know, either using a wingsuit to glide down and maybe a parachute. This guy's had over 18,000 jumps out of a plane. So he has this harebrained idea that he's going to jump from 25,000 feet out of a perfectly good airplane without a parachute in order to set the world record. Now, who in the world would do that? Here's a picture of Luke as he's falling from 25,000 feet, as you can tell, without a parachute. And if you see that big circle right there, I'm sure that from 25,000 feet, he probably couldn't even see that circle. But in the middle of that circle is a net, and that net cushioned his fall as he fell. You could say that when Luke jumped out of this plane, there was no going back. There was no going back. There was no return. There was nobody that was going to catch him. It was all or nothing. He was all in. And when we started Statham Community Church, it was a jump out of, a par- out of an airplane with no parachute leap of faith for us. That's what it was. It was was an all-in moment as we said yes to God. And you know what? When you follow God, that's exactly what it is. It is an all-in proposition. It is an all-in leap of faith. It's not boring. It can be an exhilarating ride, but it can also be a very frustrating ride, too. But it's all in. It's all in. And I think the Apostle Paul had that same all-in mindset when he said yes to Jesus on the Damascus Road. And Jesus said, you, Paul, are going to be the missionary to the Gentiles. And what we see in Philippians chapter 1, in verse 21, we see what Paul's heart really is for the church. We see what Paul's heart is in his relationship with Jesus when he says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To die is gain. That was Paul's heart. Paul was all in. And the Philippians, the church at Philippi, was all in too. And the church at Philippi, and their love, their faith, their generosity, everything about them, they remind me a lot of you. They remind me a lot of you. And that's what makes me so grateful and thankful. I can understand what, just a little bit about what Paul's saying here. I say a little bit because I've never gone through some of the things that Paul's gone through. I've never been beaten. I've never been put in jail. I've never had my feet fastened to stocks while I was in prison. I've never had any of those things in my life. But I can appreciate Paul's love and his appreciation for the church at Philippi. So if you have your Bibles, let's take a look in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. Follow along with me here. Verse 10, Paul says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord for that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things 
through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church, there wasn't one church who shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you've sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To God our Father, to God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. The Philippians were an exceptional people. They were exceptional in their love. They were exceptional in their generosity. And they were exceptional in their faith. And Paul loved them. And he loved them deeply. Now to get a better understanding of Paul's deep love for the Philippians, we've got to look at Paul's first encounter with them in Acts chapter 16. So if you want to make a note on your on your notes there, just write down Acts chapter 16. I want to encourage you to go back and, and read that particular passage. But And what you're going to find is this, this first connection that Paul has with the church at Philippi. This, is his, this would be his second missionary journey to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And this is where, when he gets to Philippi, Paul plants a new church. He plants a new church. It's a colony of, of re retired Roman soldiers. And it is a church plant that Paul is facilitating and planting here in Philippi. So here's where we start. If you go back to Acts chapter 16, what you're going to uncover and discover here is that this is following the Jerusalem council where Paul had gone to Jerusalem to meet with Peter and the other apostles. And they were having this, this, there was a disagreement that was taking place over the truth of the gospel. And what Paul wanted to do is he goes into Jerusalem, he finds out, all right, what are you guys saying? And, and this is what I'm saying. And let's make sure that what we're saying is the same thing. So that when we go out and we teach this, we are not saying different things. We want to make sure that what we're communicating in regards to the gospel is the same gospel whether it's preaching it to the Jews or whether it's preaching it to the Gentiles. Let's make sure that it's the same thing, okay? So this is after the Jerusalem council, and Paul, Silas, and Timothy leave that council, and they set out to communicate the decisions that were made regarding the truth of the gospel so that the churches that they go visit would be strengthened in their faith. That was their whole intent. So as they're on their journey... Paul has a dream, a vision. This is a vision of a, a man from Macedonia who, in this vision, this, in this dream, he's, this guy is begging Paul, I want you to come to me. I want you to come and see us. We need your help. He's just begging him to come. So when Paul wakes up from the dream and he shares it with, his, with, his, uh, with the people that are with him, with Silas and with Timothy, they agree that what is being said to Paul is that this is God communicating to them that they've got to go to Macedonia in order to preach the gospel. So that's what they concluded. So they pack up their things and they literally set sail for Macedonia. They spend a night on an island on their trip over. They get back on the boat and then they make their way to Neapolis as the port. They disembark there. And as soon as they get off, they go straight to Philippi, which is the leading city in the area of Macedonia. Now, the Bible says in Acts chapter 16 that Paul, Silas, and Timothy stayed there for several days. We don't exactly know how long they stayed, but they did stay there long enough in order to get a church started. They stayed there for a while. They stayed there to develop some really, really significant relationships with the people 
of Philippi. So when the Sabbath came, they went out looking for a place of prayer. Now in Philippi, because there was not a lot of Jews in Philippi, it was mainly Romans, not a lot of Jews there, they go out looking for a place of prayer, which is normally going to be a synagogue. Well, there's no synagogue. There's no place for them to go pray. There's nothing. There is no activity happening in this area. So this is brand new. So they go into Philippi. They're looking for a place of prayer on the Sabbath, and they go out to this river. And at this river, there's a group of women that are there. And as they meet these women, they begin to share the gospel with these ladies. And a lady by the name of Lydia, who is a vendor or a maker of purple cloth, is what the Bible talks about in this passage. This lady, Lydia, overhears what is being said. And the Bible says that the Lord opened her heart in order to respond to Paul's message. And she was saved. And now Lydia also had family members there. And those family members were saved. And not only were they saved, but then what we see there is they were immediately baptized. So a church is becoming a part of Philippi. So the Lord opened her heart. She responded to the message. Her family gets saved. They were all baptized. And then she opened up her home to Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And they came over and they fellowshiped and they had a meal. They prayed together and they encouraged one another. And, and there begins the relationship of how a church began all because of the gospel being proclaimed and the obedience of Paul, Silas, and Timothy to acknowledge the fact that what God was leading them to go do was to set sail and go to Philippi and plant this church. So as they're there on another Sabbath, this was just a typical, another typical Sabbath day. They go and they, they begin to make their way to a place of prayer. But rather than making it to the place of prayer, they wind up in prison. They wind up in prison and what happened is on their way to this place of prayer, I would imagine it's going to be the same spot where they gathered with those women and were sharing the gospel and baptized Lydia and her family. And as they were making their way, there was this lady who was filled with an evil spirit who had this ability to be a fortune teller. And as Paul and Silas were making their way to the place of prayer, this lady followed in behind them, just annoying the mess out of Paul. Anybody ever have anybody that's just, just flat annoying? You just want to turn around? Yeah, I see those hands. Don't be looking at your wife. Oh, come on. Anyway, sorry. At least I'm not looking at you, honey. <clears throat> I want you to think about the most annoying person in your life. All right? And what is your response norm normally going to be? Well, you can only take so much of a person that's just like a little chihuahua, okay? The Bible does say it's better to live on the corner of a roof than it is to live with a nagging wife. So anyway, well, I don't know why I just said that. My wife does not nag me, I promise. But it does say that. So don't be a nagging wife, okay? And don't be a nagging husband that will deserve the nagging from your wife, okay? All right, enough. That's way, way, way off the subject here. Way, just ADD, just really kicked in right there. Okay. So Paul and Silas, they're making their way to this place of prayer. And this lady, this annoying, evil, spirit-filled woman who's a fortune-telling person who makes a lot of money for her owner. She's also a slave, by the way. She is right behind them like a little chihuahua. And she's saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. These men, oh, is this getting annoying? Okay. These men are the servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Finally, Paul had enough and he said, get out of her. And he rebuked her. He rebuked the evil spirit, and they kept walking. 
And what happened was, when he said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave her, that evil spirit left her, and then she could no longer do what she, was been, she had been doing, and her owners got ticked off because she was no longer able to produce for them the income that they were making off of her abilities at that time. So these guys, these owners, began to drum up false accusations. They even got the whole crowd involved with it. They seized Paul and Silas. They beat them. They took them to the judges. The crowd gets involved. They're saying basically crucify them, although they didn't really crucify them. But they're all in an uproar because of what they're doing. And Paul and Silas wind up in a place where they are locked up, feet fastened to stocks, rather than in a place of prayer with other believers. So the judges had them stripped naked. They had them beaten with rods. And they threw them in jail. But notice what happens next when you get to this part of the story. It's midnight. So it's been a long day. So, th so they've, gone out, they've gone out to this place of prayer. Now they've had this long day of, of trial and false accusations. They've been beaten. They've been flogged. They are wounded, they're bloody, they're bruised, and now they're in jail. And God meant for every step of that to happen because of what took place next. Because you see, at midnight, at midnight, there was a violent earthquake. But before the violent earthquake took place, what we find are Paul and Silas are doing two things. They are praying and they are singing hymns. Two guys praying and singing hymns. They're bloody. They're beaten. Nobody's washed them. They're sore. They've got every right to complain against God. Why did you put me here? they got every right. But no. They are sitting in their jail cell, feet fastened to stocks, and they are singing songs and praying. And a violent earthquake happens. The prison doors fly open, and then the chains of every prisoner in that jail cell break loose. And as soon as everything took place, the jailer who was responsible for all of these men in this jail... He stands up, he sees everything, he draws his sword, and he's going to kill himself. He's going to impale himself with his own sword. And Paul says, no, wait, stop, we're all here. Everybody's here. Wait. And the jailer said, sir, what have I got to do to be saved? What have I got to do? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household will be saved. So the jailer believes. And then he takes Paul and he takes Silas and he takes them out of the jail cell and then he takes them to his home. Because when they got to their home, then Paul and Silas then shared the gospel with his whole family. That's how they came to know Jesus is because Paul and Silas were able to tell the rest of his family that they, how they could be saved. And in the early hours of that morning, after tending to the wounds of Paul and Silas, the jailer and his family are baptized. They didn't have to wait on a 1030 service to be baptized. No, this was in the middle of the night. These guys get saved. Paul takes them out to the river, baptizes them. Life change. Life change. They go back to the house, they have breakfast, and then they're told that they are set free. They're told that they're set free. Now, I want you to think about those two experiences that Paul had at this very beginning of a church plant. His experience with Lydia at the river when she and her family came to know the Lord and were baptized. And then, whenever this next Sabbath occurred, they... They go to this place of prayer, but they wind up in a prison cell. 
And they see the violent, they hear the violent earthquake. They see the prison doors fly open. They, they feel their chains break loose. They see a guy about to kill himself. And he says, stop. And then they see this guy come to know Jesus. They, then he takes them to their home. He cleans their wounds. And then his family gets saved. I mean, think about this experience that they just had. The experience that Paul had at Philippi was unforgettable. It was unforgettable. The Philippians became Paul's friends and supporters for the remainder of his life. And when they heard that he was in prison, when they heard that he was in prison for preaching the gospel, they collected aid and gifts and they sent that to him. And from his prison cell, in a cold, dark dungeon, Paul writes a thank you note in Philippians. He writes a note, and it's more than a note. This is his heart for the church at Philippi. And in this letter that he writes from his prison cell, we discover how much Paul loved the Philippians. When you take a look at, at, at chapter 1, listen, just listen to this. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share with me in God's grace. God can testify how I long for all of you with all of the affection, all of the affection of Christ Jesus. That's a lot of affection, by the way. And this is my prayer, Paul says, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul loved the Philippians deeply. And he consistently pointed them to Jesus. We see that in chapter 2. He challenged the Philippians to live a life worthy of the gospel. When you take a look in verse 27 of chapter 1, Paul says, whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever happens, that's how you are to live. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul also challenged and encouraged the Philippians to press on with life and in their faith. We see that in Philippians chapter 3. And then in chapter 5, we see that Paul was thankful. I'm excuse me, in chapter 4, we see that Paul was thankful for their generosity and their partnership in the gospel. And it's in that partnership, it's in that partnership that we, the church today, receive a challenge it's in that partnership that we receive a challenge to go all in to take that leap of faith at twenty-five thousand feet jump because god's got us and here's the challenge here's the challenge number one we are challenged to be all in in your love for Jesus. We're to be challenged to be all in for your love for Jesus. Things like money, possessions, and margin in our culture today, 
Those are all things that people will use to base their decisions and create goals for their life. Now, those three things are not necessarily bad in and of themselves. I mean, who wouldn't want a little more money? I mean, who wouldn't want to have maybe a few more nice things? Who wouldn't want to have more time on their hands in order to spend time with their family and their friends and being able to do certain things with their life? But here's where the problem comes when that becomes the driving force of our life. When money and things and margin become that driving force, that's where the problem begins. It's where the problem begins. Paul said in Philippians 4, he says that he learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, that he could do all things through Christ who gave him strength. Now listen, doing all things is not about you accomplishing physical feats or your athletic prowess, okay? I mean, let's face it. You get on out of high school, most of us probably didn't have the opportunity to play college ball or any professional sports. We begin to work. We begin to do life. Things begin to get a little bit out of shape, don't they? Okay? Listen, this verse is not talking about your athletic prowess. It's not talking about that, not, not one bit. As many of people want to think that, man, I can do all things through Jesus. Listen, I always wanted to dunk a basketball goal. I can't jump. As many times as I memorized that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strength. I even, I, I even wanted to get those pair of tennis shoes that had those little platforms on the bottoms of them, okay, that, that kind of built your calves up a little bit, and you could think you could launch or, and jump a little higher. That didn't work either. I had to lower the goal to about seven feet. Then I could dunk it, all right? But at a 10-foot goal, uh-uh, not going to happen. No matter how many times I memorize that verse, I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. I can, do, I can do all things. Well, I couldn't do that. What Paul is talking about here is this. Doing all things is about being totally dependent. It's about being totally dependent on Jesus Christ and his power at work within you to accomplish his purpose. That's what it's about. So that if there is that moment where your life seems to be taking this detour from the prayer house to the prison house. Maybe that's the steps that God was directing so that God could use you in a place where people needed to hear the gospel. Where people needed to hear a message of hope. Paul was content in love for Jesus always leads to great contentment no matter what situation you're in. Love for Jesus always leads to great contentment. Number two, the challenge, we're challenged to be all in with the mission. We're challenged to be all in with the mission. See, love for Jesus may, will bring great contentment, but love for Jesus, it also aligns us with his mission. Well, what is that mission? What is that mission? plain and simple. It's the mission of making Jesus more non-ignorable in our world today. That's the mission. And it's not just left up to pastors and youth pastors to do that. No, it's you. It's you that God has placed his spirit and has put you on campuses around this community. It's God that has placed his spirit in you and has placed you in school systems. It's God that has taken his spirit and deposited him into your life so that wherever you go in this marketplace, you take Jesus with you. You take and you live out the mission. You just think that your job is your career. No, your job, your career is God's avenue for you to take the gospel into places that it will never go. And if we leave the gospel simply up to me, we will never get the work done. If we leave the gospel simply up to pastors and staff, it's not going to happen. It's got to be you. It's got to be us. It's got to be the church coming together 
to go wherever we go. On Delta, Southwest, in our car, South Beach, Miami, New York City, California, wherever God takes us, you, as a believer, are empowered with His Spirit to take the gospel to that plot, to that spot, and use it, and to live it. Now, in this passage, Paul knew that the Philippians were experiencing a lot of opposition. He knew it. And so he appealed. He said, look at me. Look at my life. Okay, follow my example as I follow Christ on how to respond to hardship with joy. And he wanted them, he wanted the Philippians to have that same confidence that he had in order to proclaim the gospel without fear. Here's the thing. Those who know Jesus will live forever in the joy of his presence from which nothing can separate them. And our love for Jesus Christ, it leads us to fulfill God's mission of making Jesus more non-ignorable in our world. So be all in with the mission. Thirdly, the third challenge is to be all in with generosity. Be all in with generosity. See, love for Jesus not only brings great contentment, love for Jesus not only aligns us with his mission, but love for Jesus is modeled with generosity. We can't call ourselves Christians if we don't model the generosity of God who gave up everything he had in his son so that we could have life. The greatest model, greatest example of generosity. He who gave up his only son so that you and I could have life and have it more abundantly. So the challenge for us is to be generous. To be all in with generosity. What's interesting when you take a look at Philippians, there's a guy by the name of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was a very much beloved person to the church at Philippi. I mean, these people loved him deeply. And when they took up their aid and they received that gift and they were going to take it to Paul, they chose Epaphroditus to be the one to take that gift to Paul. Because one, they knew that the gift was going to be an encouragement to Paul, but they also knew that Epaphroditus was going to be that guy who brought life and brought encouragement and fanned into flame what Paul needed. Because here's Paul, and he is in a prison cell, and he needs a word of encouragement. So they send Epaphroditus. And what Epaphroditus displayed was not only generosity with the resources from the church, but it was also generosity with his life, literally with his life. Paul said in chapter 2 of, 20, uh, in, of Philippians, he says this when he's sending this letter, because see, he sent the letter back with Epaphroditus. He sent this letter back with him to the church at Philippi, and he was the one to communicate what Paul was saying. Paul says this, he says, in regards to Epaphroditus, I want you to welcome him with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life, Paul said. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves couldn't give me. He risked his life. He almost died for the work of Christ. Epaphroditus was a model of generosity. The church at Philippi was a model of generosity. In our first three years, as a church, we have, as a church, been dependent upon the resources from outside organizations. Some of those organizations are churches. Mount Zion Church in Snellville, First Baptist Church of Monroe, Crossroads Church in uh, Social Circle, to, to name a few there. Um, the Appalachian Baptist Association, the Stone Mountain Baptist Association, they were one of our key partners in starting our, our church. The North American Mission Board, of which we are affiliated with through the Southern Baptist Convention. 
North American Mission Board gave us 18 grand right off the bat to get started. Appalachian Baptist Association, $25,000 over a two-year period. We've had multiple, multiple people and churches and organizations that have helped us along with their gifts and with their aid. And here's the thing, aid comes in different forms. It can come in, in, in terms of money. It can come in terms of, of, other, of just people. You want to know who I believe is probably our greatest supporter? Our greatest supporter in all that we've done and all that we've been able to do is a church out of Bonaire, Georgia called Unity Baptist Church. They pray for us every week. You want to know how I know that? Because they send me notes. And they send me their bulletin insert. They highlight SEC, praying for Spencer, praying for our students, praying for the weekend for Disciple Now, praying for the mission trips, praying for all of these things that have been done. They are one of our greatest supporters because prayer is the greater work. And that's what they're committed to doing. They may not ever send another dime but what they add to in terms of prayer and supernatural value money cannot buy can't buy it this church started with nothing and it was completely started with a total dependence upon the Lord Jesus and his leadership for our lives and it will continue to be dependent upon him and his mercy and his grace and his unbelievable provision. Now, a healthy church will move from a status of being able to receive support from other organizations to what we call as self-supporting. And I'm happy to tell you that as of today, we are 93% self-supporting. That's huge for a church that's just celebrated three years of ministry. That may have between around, you know, around 70 or so people in worship each week. That's huge for a church that's got a huge vision that wants to reach more children. That's huge for a church that is just dependent on the Lord. Huge. You've been a part of that. Your faithfulness, your generosity, it's all been there. And I want to encourage you to look. The investment that you make, the gifts that you give, when you give, they support these guys right here and what they experience each and every week. You help to support what Wade does. You support what we do in our kids' ministry. You support what we do in missions around the world you support and you and you give to the mission and, and the thing is it's not just giving to a church when you give you give to the lord you give to him what you give is between you and him period and when you give you are impacting the world for jesus and you reach students you reach families you reach children you train and you send missionaries matter of fact just this week Coming up, I get to connect with a church planter of whom I get the opportunity to coach. And I was, as I told some people this earlier last week, listen, I may get to have the one-on-one -on -one conversations with this church planter who's planting in Atlanta. I may get to have the one-on-one -on -one conversations, but here's the thing. It's our church that's coaching him. It's our church that's coaching him to lead and to facilitate the gospel and, and, to, and to be able to partner with him. It's not just me, it's you and me coaching him in this church plant. And so when you give, you are giving to invest in that. You're impacting the world for Jesus by making disciples and planting churches. Now as we wrap up, you will never hear me preach a prosperity gospel. It does not work. 
But I will tell you this. You will hear me preach that when you give, and when you give to the Lord in a hilarious kind of way, you're going to see God pour out his blessings that will absolutely blow you away. Paul wrapped up his, his, his letter to the Philippians, and he says, listen, your gifts that were sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And then Paul says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. William Barclay put it this way. No gift, no gift ever made anybody poorer. The wealth of God is open to those who love him and love their neighbors. Those who make themselves richer, those who give, make themselves richer for their own gifts, open them to the gifts of God. And here's what that looks like. As you give, and as you return what is 100% God's, and you're placing all of that in His hands, God says, watch this. And He throws open the floodgates. He opens up the storehouses, and there is nothing but blessing that comes. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to give and you're going to go home and find some check in the mail. That's a prosperity gospel I don't, I don't believe in. The Bible doesn't teach it. But what giving is, it is, it, is an, it is an expressed dependency on Almighty God. And as we depend upon Him, He pours out His blessings on us. And then we see him work, and then what's reciprocated is worship and adoration to him. So as we close, I want to challenge you with what Paul had challenged the Philippians. Be all in in your love for Jesus. Be all in in the mission. And be all in with your generosity. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for Paul and the example that he set for us. And Father, I ask that as we come to a, a time of, of response and decision about what you have called us to do and to be, Father, my prayer is that we would be obedient to the challenge to love you more, Lord Jesus that we would be obedient to the challenge to be all in with the mission and to be all in with our generosity. May what we give honor you. May what we, how we serve and how we live honor you. And may we understand that we may be going in one direction, but you determine our steps. And you determine those steps specifically so that we could share the gospel and be a light in a dark world. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray.